Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is John Stoy. Thanks for being on the show, John. Thanks for inviting me, Whitney. I'm really looking forward to uh, sharing with your listeners. After years of climbing the Wall Street corporate ladder, financial advisor John Stoy became disillusioned with false promises of outperforming the market. He eventually started a sushi delivery company only to return to his first love, financial planning. But this time, things are different. With Verbatim Financial, John's gone rogue with his pricing model and is applying his decades of experience and personal touch to help clients simplify their financial lives. John, thank you again for your time. We're all looking to simplify our our lives in general, but especially on the financial side, right? And a lot of that's education, and that's what we're hoping to provide to the listeners today and with your help. So, John, welcome to the show. Give the listeners a little more about you know your background, what you do now, and then we're going to jump into when you advise people to maybe add real estate to their portfolio or not, and just how you do that. Yeah, well, thanks again, Whitney, for having me on. This is great. Just a little bit about me, and I won't get too much into the weeds, but I spent a couple decades on Wall Street, and I worked on trading and investment banking and, and finally managed portfolios for SunTrust Bank here in Atlanta and ING, managed portfolios of, of institutional money and retirement money for folks. And then my last job in, the, in that official finance capacity, uh, what I call the corporate world, was as a CDO manager. So what I did was manage, put together and I eventually managed those types of investments that basically blew up the world 10 years ago. Uh, and they were <laughs> so complex, um, so complex. And I lived in a world of complexity in, in finance. And I thought that was great until it wasn't, until we all realized, I think it wasn't. And so uh, you mentioned in that nice uh, intro that I ran a sushi business for a while. I got so fed up with finance and how it had, in my opinion, failed that I just wanted to do something completely different. And so I opened up a food business and I ran that for about five years and then sold it when my wife and I had our, our son. Um, and so I was a stay-at-home dad for several years. And then, you know, you're ready to get back into the workforce. And I wanted to do something where I could basically take my knowledge base and, and help other people ideally not waste money on financial products and keep more money in their own pockets versus giving it to the Wall Street banks. Nice. Well, John, grateful for that. Uh, just background, really, and, and how you know just got fed up with it and left it and came back as well. Now you're helping many others, uh, you know, to gain that or uh, simplifying, you know, their financial lives. Could you elaborate on that uh, right there, just a little bit on on uh, you know how you're helping people to simplify their financial lives and and what that typically looks like for your clients and the mess that it may be. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, and it can easily be a mess, even if you thought that you were doing all the right things from when you first you got your first job say you were lucky enough to get a job with a that that had a 401k and the company matched and then you left that job and you moved to another company and you did the same thing and each time you know you get onto your hr your hr sends you an email and you say it says choose the funds that you want to put your 401k into and you do that and then you bounce around 
and suddenly, you know, you're double-digit years into your career and you find you've got a bunch of different, maybe you could have three, four separate 401ks left over at different companies. You don't know the funds that you chose in 1999 might not be the right funds for your life in uh, 2020. Things like that happen to everyone. And we're all busy. We've got families. If we don't have families, we just have to worry about our careers. Maybe we're worried about our own parents that we're taking care of now as we get a little bit older. And so all of these things lead to a lot of inadvertent disarray in people's financial lives. And so what I find is that people that come to me, they've kind of gotten to the point where they know they should be doing something, but they don't know what to do. Maybe they spoke to a financial advisor who turned out to be an insurance salesman. And when they got their prescription for how to turn their financial lives around, it was a whole life policy that they wanted them to buy. And so that turned them off again. And now they're like, well, forget it. I'm not even going to do anything about it. And so they want to, you know, ignore the whole thing. If I'm doing my job correctly, I'm taking that kind of stress off of folks and saying like, listen, let's just put this, lay it all out. And like you said, let's simplify it. Let's try to move things into one place. Let's try to cut down on the number of funds you own. Let's make sure we're not paying too many fees to fund managers, things like that. It's a great process. I enjoy it. But the funny thing is, is that one of my friends just uh, messaged me this morning. He said to me, he's like, financial advisors are, are really just psychologists, aren't they? <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, maybe if the, the good ones might be part psychologists because of that, that's one of the big things that, that we do if we're working with our clients the right way is to just try to get them to sort of understand that it's okay. Let's just move forward. Nice. Well, you know, right now, John, what's the number of clients or percentage, would you say, that have real estate in their portfolio? Well, I would say when people come to me, it's a pretty low percentage and I think lower than it should be because real estate in some form or another, in my opinion, is a good component to have in your overall investment portfolio because it, it's just another way to diversify. And obviously what we're looking to do in an ideal world, we want to make sure that we have exposure to different asset classes such that if one class has a hiccup, maybe it's not as bad or the same type of hiccup in another asset class. So real estate is often a good balance to have along with equities and fixed income and things like that. Okay. Yeah, no doubt. We were, I mean, I, I know the listeners are here because they believe in real estate in their portfolio. Is there a percentage there that you say for most people? I know everyone's situation is different, but you know, real estate versus uh, you know, being invested in, in the stock market or, or in other, other asset classes outside of real estate. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of the simplicity. In an ideal world, you'd have maybe four asset classes that you'd be exposed to, maybe fewer than four. Real estate would be one of them. So depending upon where you are in your life and the type of risks that you're willing or able to take on, equities, so stocks are probably the highest percentage, somewhere over 50%. Then you've got fixed income, bonds, and then real estate, and then maybe other hard assets, you could potentially even want something like gold or something like that. But real estate is going to vary from single digit percents in a conservative portfolio that's going to have more bonds, fixed income assets to, you know, you can get into the double digit teens of your overall investment portfolio. And so 
maybe that doesn't sound like a lot to your listeners who are, I'm guessing, really into real estate, and that's great. But it's the amazing thing is is that there's so there are so many people who don't want any exposure to real estate investments, say outside of their primary residence. And for me, as an advisor, often the most difficult thing for me to do is is to convince them that you need to add some. <laughs> So when is that? When is real estate the answer for your client? Like, you know, I know obviously if they, maybe if they don't have any, but or, or maybe there's some examples of a couple of clients that you can give that say, you know, this is what their portfolio was like and why you advise them to say, you know, consider some real estate. Yeah. Okay. This is not just one client. I might need both of my hands worth the fingers to tell you the number of clients that when I start working with them, they come to me and they might be 100% equities, just because of that's all they knew to do. Again, in the past, maybe they, again, they, were, they were allocating their, their funds in their 401k, or they opened up a brokerage account at some point in their life because somebody told them they should, and they started buying Apple or whatever that they wanted to buy. And then suddenly they're like, well, all I have is stocks. So my job as an advisor and planner a lot of it is, I think I used this word a few minutes ago, but a lot of it is often housekeeping, knowing or trying to figure out what that they can sell so they can allocate away from fully 100% equities and into real estate. Um, and again, it could be real estate through REITs, ETFs, or it could be into maybe they want hard assets, maybe they want a vacation home, something like that. And I often have to point out the vacation home or a rental property or anything like that, that has to be treated as an investment and brought into your whole portfolio that includes your investments within, say, institutions such as, such as your Fidelities or your TD Ameritrades or whatever. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I, I mean, having real estate in portfolio, obviously the listeners and I would, would agree, we, we all need some real estate in our portfolio. But is there is there a time or is there a type of client where you say, you know, no, you know, we, we probably don't need any real estate or any more real estate? When would that be advisable? Sure. That's a good question. I think the times that you might say that you don't need to add real estate on a securities basis in terms of like your REITs or whatever, that would be a, someone who is maybe a real, a real estate investor or someone who is deep in the syndication markets, things like that. In that case, you might not want to double down on your real estate risk. You might want to have your investment portfolio outside of the properties and syndication deals that you might be working on. You might want to have all of your other investments in equities or fixed income as opposed to any real estate versus, again, the, the folks that might come to me with no real estate exposure. One of the things that you want to try to avoid is being exposed to only one asset class. Again, if that experience is an issue, a hiccup, then you're probably not in as good a shape as you might be if you had some of that diversification. So what's the type of real estate and potential returns that you look for for a client? So that's always a great question. And returns are something that everybody wants they want a number on. And so I, and I appreciate the, the question because it's, it's one I get a lot. But what I want to do for my clients is look at, I'm going to look at historical returns in that asset class. And all I'm going to try to do is make sure that we are investing in something that will get them, that will allow them to capture as much of 
the returns that that asset class historically provides. So just making up a number, I'm just, this isn't the actual return, but if real estate typically provided a return of 5% per year, throwing out the tax benefits or, or issues there, then you don't want to invest in something that's going to only give you three. You want to try to capture as much of that 5% as possible. And so again, it's through paying as little money out in fees as you can, working with somebody, if you're working with a syndicator who property management, all that kind of stuff, so that you're not giving away the returns that you should be capturing. I know something that you help people with a lot is, you know, reducing those fees, right? And understanding maybe where they're paying fees and they may not realize, right? Maybe you could highlight that a little bit. And I'm sure there's listeners right now who are paying fees that maybe they, you know, don't know about or either they don't have to pay. Yeah. That's one of the things that brought me into the business, uh, the way I run Verbatim Financial, my firm. So I'm a flat fee advisor. People pay me an annual fee to work with them, and it is a set flat fee. They know exactly what they're paying me every year. It doesn't change based upon whether their investments went up in value or whether they inherited a million dollars from an uncle they didn't know they had. That's a key of what I do. So a lot of people don't even know if they have investment advisors. A lot of people have no idea how much they're actually paying every year to that advisor because it's, it's, a, it's a percentage of their assets. Sometimes it's stepped or stepped down. It's disclosed, but it's only sent in their statements quarterly or, and who digs to the last page to find out how much they paid their advisor. So that's, that's one thing that I'll always help people to look through. And whether they work with me or not, a lot of times it's good for them to talk to their own advisors and say, okay, well, I see now what you're charging me. What am I getting for this? Another thing is, is that people don't realize that there are so many ETFs and index funds available nowadays that you can get exposure to these different asset classes with very low annual fees. It's just something where you could go through a portfolio, again, especially if somebody has legacy funds in their 401ks from a decade plus ago, when it was a lot more prevalent for funds to, to charge pretty high fees. So John, what's a way that uh, you help people prepare for a downturn? So one of the things that I do for everybody is we put together a comprehensive financial plan you know, for them. And I think to me, that's the most, most important thing you can have is a plan. And that plan is going to have emergency funds in it, liquidity, things that you want to be able to withstand certain downturns. We can look through the types of risks that you could anticipate within your portfolio and then also within your life outside of your investment portfolio. I was asked recently, what am I afraid of as an advisor? And the answer I gave was that outside of something bad happening to my family, you know, sickness or, or whatever, accident, the only thing that really frightens me is not having a plan for something in the future, right? The pandemic that we're living through right now, COVID, it's a good example. Of course, none of us, we didn't know that COVID-19 was going to come, that the economy was going to shut down for a quarter, and then we're going to have a big problem moving forwards, et cetera, et cetera. But what we could have said if we were setting up a plan is that what if something happens so that your income is curtailed for three months, six months, how do you cover your expenses, et cetera, et cetera. And so the people that had their, had plans in place that had contingency funds, some people call them emergency funds, whatever, those people 
if they were put out of work or their income through properties or whatever was, was again curtailed, they would sleep a lot better at night than folks who were just sort of, you know, <laughs> bouncing along as if uh, nothing was ever going to go wrong. So John, you know, I feel like any, any successful business or business person, they have a high level of self-discipline. I love asking, you know, what's been something or so a way that you've improved self-discipline or maybe habits that you have on a daily basis that have, you know, helped you to reach uh, just the level of success that you have? Having good habits in place. And I follow probably a bad habit with a good habit every morning. I get up with my wife. We get up very early. She's a physician. So she's in the hospital by 6 a.m. So we get up, our alarm goes up at 4.40 every morning. And I make coffee for us. And we sit down and we have a couple cups of coffee before she goes to work. And then that's the bad part because, I mean, I keep wanting to give up caffeine, but I love coffee too much. It's not going to happen. Uh, but I would say that time with your wife, though, is very valuable. It is super valuable. You're exactly right about that. And I treasure it. And the days where sometimes it doesn't happen for one reason or another, my whole day is thrown off. After she leaves, I'll take a few minutes and I don't want to call it meditate. That would be too formal of a, of a word to use. But I will think pretty hard about what I want my day to look like. And you know, over the course of the day, I think about how am I doing what I thought I was going to do in the morning. And to have that plan each day, just a little plan helps me so much. And I think, again, if I sound like I'm overdoing the word plan, uh, <laughs> I, use it, I use it in a lot, a lot of parts of my life. What is it, what's that saying? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail? Yeah. <laughs> so what's a way that you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours? I think the best way that I've improved my business is talking to folks like you on your podcast, because I find that the more people I talk to about my business who aren't necessarily clients and who I'm not trying to get as clients, it helps me so much in my own business to educate other folks without any sort of concern as to whether you know I'm trying to do a quote unquote sales call to somebody. It's sort of tightened up my message and then it allows me then when I talk to my clients, it allows me to understand better what their concerns are. And I try to be a good advisor and I'm trying to improve every day. But, you know, relationships are an ongoing and evolving thing. And so if I can get better at my communication with my clients, that's always going to be a better thing for my business. What's your best source for meeting new investors? You know, it's, it's, this is, sounds so overdone, but it really is word of mouth. I've been in finance for so long that I have a lot of people who know me from my previous lives in finance. And also I have people that know me from my, my life as a food business owner. And so often it's just like, wow, I didn't realize that you'd gotten back into business in finance. I didn't, oh, you, wow, you're managing, you know, I could work with you. These are things that I don't do outbound calls. I don't do marketing uh, mailers or things like that. It's, it's really, it's just a matter of, I think, putting out the right information to folks, giving out education for quote unquote free is the best way to, to get actual business. Because if people realize that they can benefit from working with you, even just by listening to you, like you are doing with your podcast and your clients, it's just a big positive. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? That would have to be whatever it was that my parents did when they raised me because they raised me with just a desire to put out into the world what I want to get back. And so if I put out good thoughts, 
then they tend to come back to me and, and, and not worry too much about anything outside of that. How do you like to give back? I like to give back in, in, in a couple of ways. One, just by sharing knowledge and trying to keep people, again, from wasting money because over the course of, of time, it, it really adds up. And the other way is I try to work with folks in the food business because a lot of times they're low income, they get taken advantage of. If I can help out people that I used to work with and people who are in that business, that's what I like to do. And it's really gratifying for me. John, grateful for your time today. Uh, it is a pleasure to meet you and get to know you a little better. And I'm just grateful for just sharing with us just how you advise clients and when they should have real estate and how you how you look at that when you are developing that plan, right? You know, for someone, uh, helping them really think deeper uh, about their plan and even through a, a downturn or recession and, and having a plan for that when it happens, uh, right? And even reducing fees and how you handle that. Uh, so, so tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Whitney, and thank you for that summary. Best way is just to go to verbatimfinancial.com. You can read a little bit more about how I do business. I blog on there, but there's also a contact me, you know, button where people can reach out if they'd ever like to chat. Awesome. That's a wrap, John. Thank you so much. No, thanks, Whitney. This was great. I appreciate it. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.